Well, if there was one thing the little flannel graph in Sunday school got wrong, it's this scene right here. It's John the Baptist by the Jordan River. Often you get this little crew of about 12 people by a river looking at Jesus when he first approaches the river to inaugurate his ministry. Here's where they went wrong, though. There would have been far more people than just 12. The scriptures say the entire Judean countryside had come down to hear this man. Not just the Jewish people, but the tax collectors, the Roman officials, the Roman soldiers, all coming down to hear this man by the river dressed in camel camel skin clothing to recite his message. Your little flannel graph here wouldn't have just held all the people because we're not talking a dozen people. We're not talking about a hundred people or a thousand people. We're talking about thousands of people who would have come down to hear John the Baptist recite over and over and over again those words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then at that river, surrounded by those crowds, one day it happened. Oh, in the middle of the lesson, John stopped what he was doing because he saw the man walking down to the river that he'd been waiting for the entire time. His message, repent for the kingdom is near. Well, now the kingdom was at hand. He sees Jesus walking down to this river. I love this because this is Jesus inaugurating his ministry, not in a palace, not in some parliament floor, but down by a river amongst the people. And then John just tears up the lesson plan for the day, sets it aside, and I don't know if he he had these words up his sleeve and he had been waiting for this day his whole life. I don't know if he just got excited and took the knowledge he had of the Old Testament scriptures and what they said about this Messiah and it just came flying out of his mouth. I don't know how he said it or why he said it or what was in his mind when he said it, but some of the most powerful words we've ever heard come flying out of John's mouth the moment he sees Jesus at the river that day. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, take it in, feast on this, see with your soul, he's here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, by the way, welcome to our series. We're in the Bible you've never, no one ever told you about. Try and keep up. What we're doing in this series is taking very common Bible themes and unpacking them and finding what they actually mean for us today. And we're going to do that today right now. Maybe you've heard this phrase, the Lamb of God. Jesus is often referred to as the Lamb of God. What does that actually mean? What does that actually mean for us? We're going to ask that big question today. Lamb of God, what does that mean for me here in 2021 as I live my life in Southern California? Glad you asked. Now, here's what you need to understand first. Often there are Things in the Old Testament that Jesus later fulfills. Sometimes they're prophecies. Sometimes they're these moments where we talked about how David is a hero that rescued people from the people of God from captivity and, and being enslaved by Goliath. And then one day Jesus comes and he would then do the same. Well, the Lamb of God works like that. But here's what I can tell you from the beginning. Don't go looking in your Old Testament for one single 
illustration about a Lamb of God that is going to perfectly line up and parallel the life of Jesus. Uh, There are far too many for that. As a matter of fact, when John says this phrase, he is pulling in, he's throwing a net around 6,000 years of salvation history from Adam to Abraham, Moses, and the prophets. We're going to look at those in a moment. Mark Moore said it best when he was talking about how to understand these Jewish illustrations that we hear in scripture. He says, Jewish people are frequently and intentionally ambiguous and broad in their illustrations. They're like Beyonce. She doesn't speak to a single lady. She calls on all the single ladies. And when John says these words, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is not just calling on one reference to a lamb in the Old Testament. He's calling on all of them. Let's take a look at them together. You know the lamb in Genesis 3, right? Let me take you there. God creates the earth and sky and, you know, creatures and living and sea and light and dark and sky and all of this. And then he creates humanity. And we talk about this often. God sets the man and the woman in this garden. There is shalom. Things are at peace. Things are at rest. Everything is just how it was made to be. These man, this man and this woman function in a relationship with God that is based on trust and love. God loves them. They are to trust. Him. The phrase you get in Genesis 2.25 about this setup, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, oddly enough, I get more amens in church when I read this than just about anything else I say. But here's the cool part about the phrase. What it means is everything was just how it was supposed to be. No insecurity, no fear. This man and this woman felt comfortable in their own skin just as they were because of the life-giving connection they had with their God. Now, God puts a tree in the garden. You could say, why is it just a tree? I don't think it was just a tree. I think it's about choice. I think it's about trust. I think it's about, can I trust the world and the way God tells me to live with in it. Now, God turns his back for a moment. What happens? The man and the woman eat from the tree. They break trust and therefore break relationship with God. What happens next is in Genesis 3, 8 through 11. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden as in the cool of the day. And what happened? And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? What happens? Relationship gets broken with God. What happens next? Insecurity, shame, and fear enter the heart of humanity for the very first time. Time. We see it today. Relationship with God gets broken. Look around the world. How many insecure people do you encounter on a daily basis? We live in a world that has broken relationship with God. And what happens? Insecurity, shame, and fear. It happens in this garden, but something interesting happens next. What does God do? It says this. Genesis 3.21, God's response is this. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, scholars believe this to be the first lamb in the Bible, and I believe them. 
This man and this woman are now naked and ashamed of being naked. So God decides to look around this garden and an animal is to lose its life, to be made into coverings for them. And lamb makes sense to me because God's got this man and this woman and he's got to clothe them and he starts scanning the garden. He goes, alligator, ah, too prickly. Feathers, chicken, nah, that'd be sadistic. And then he looks over and in the corner, there's this woolly little fluffy animal going, bah, sorry, lammy, you're up, bro. The lamb is killed, the shame is covered, and God makes provision for mankind. Time out. Get that phrase. The lamb is slaughtered, so shame and insecurity will be no more. You know the lamb in Exodus, right? I'm talking Exodus after Moses runs to the desert, after God appears in a burning bush, after, hey, let my people go, after Pharaoh's heart is hardened, after nine plagues, there's a tenth plague, and the God, tells that, uh, God tells Moses, I'm going to send an angel of death through Egypt, and the firstborn in every household, I'm talking every barn and stable, firstborn in every home, firstborn of every Egyptian, and firstborn of every Israelite who does not follow my instructions will be gone by morning. And then God gives Moses these instructions to give to Israel. Exodus 12, 3 through 13. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Highlight, circle, underline. We'll come back to that one in a minute. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. All the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Take some of the blood and put it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that night, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign to you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Mark this. By the blood of a lamb with no blemish, the people of God are marked as holy, preserved, and freed from death. Now, like I said, John says these words, the lamb of God, and throws a net over 6,000 years of salvation history. And I could go into more references in Leviticus where it says a lamb without blemish will cover your sins. A lamb without blemish will be given for your guilt without blemish. Looking forward to the day Jesus would live a life without sin. You could go to, you could go to uh, Abraham with Isaac and, and see that a lamb is given as a provision in a moment of deep emotional need and I could show you the way that Jesus is now our provision for our souls and our emotions and what they truly need most but I'm going to cut to for the sake of time one of the most painfully obvious references to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The prophet Isaiah says these words in Isaiah 53 He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from men hide their faces. He was despised, and yet we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. 
yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like what? Like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Now take this history and walk it back down to the river. And see John crumple up his lesson plan, throw it aside. See John look at Jesus and saying, hey, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes for him. See John look at Jesus and say, I need to decrease because he needs to increase. And that's why I'm here. And hear John say those words again. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, you're darn right, exclamation point. You're darn right, that's exclamation, but you're darn right with enthusiasm. He is looking at Jesus and going, hey, you guys remember the way that there was shit, sin and shame and guilt and a lamb covered that? Well, there's a new lamb and he's going to be the one who puts away sin, shame and guilt forever. You, you remember Moses and it was by the blood of a blemish-free lamb that death marked, that death passes over us, that we are marked as God's people and we are preserved. Yeah, it is in Jesus that we will now not experience death, that we are marked as holy and preserved by God. You see the one who is going to suffer imagine, inimaginable things so we can live free. Oh, you're looking at him. He is right there. Behold the Lamb of God. I love that word, behold. If you look up the meaning, it's not just like look over at him. It is open up your soul and experience him. Oh, momentum, this is an online service, but come on, behold the Lamb of God. Open up your soul to the one who made you and knows you. Open up the one, your soul to the one who has bigger dreams for you than you even do for yourself. And open up your soul to remember the work that he has done for you. You remember our big question, right? What's this mean for me? I can answer like this. I think Paul from Scripture is way more qualified to talk through this than me. What does this mean for us? You could check out Paul. Now, maybe you know Paul, maybe you don't, but think of him as Paul, the former murderer. Think of him as Paul, the man who had a hard time looking at himself in a mirror. Think of him as Paul, the man who sent parents to jail and leaving their young children to fend for themselves. Think of a man who had blood on his hands. Think of a man who heard screams at night before he went to sleep. Think of a man who had trouble sleeping that matter because of his conscience and the things he knew he had done. Paul has a head-on collision with the love of God in human form. He meets Jesus and he finds out for some reason God could still love him even though he was misguided and at his worst. He finds out that although God knew him to his depths, he was still loved to the sky because of the power of the love of Jesus and everything about him turns over almost overnight. His name changes from Saul to Paul. 
a heart marked by rage and bitterness turns to a heart of love and compassion. One living just for himself and his own clout says, I found something so much better. I'm laying that down. He puts his pen to the paper in a book that we call Romans, and he writes about the grace he found in Jesus. And he spends the first two and a half chapters pretty grim, and he's making sure it is known that we should all be judged for our actions. I mean, come on, guys, don't kid yourselves, right? There's no amount of accolades and achievements you're going to stack up down here on earth and you're going to meet God one day and they're going to be so impressive. He's like, oh my goodness, it's you. Come on in. Why don't you run things? Oh, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself in thinking that one day you don't deserve to be judged the same way you've judged other people. Oh, Romans 2 makes it clear. Have you ever thought, passed a judgmental thought about another person? Well, he says, outside of Christ, God is going to judge you by the same exact standards you judge the world around you. I don't want that. Paul says, come on, guys. We're just like Adam and Eve. Every single one of us has turned our back on God the moment he turned his back and wasn't looking anymore. Then Paul gets to chapter 3, and he says of this Lamb of God and his finished work on the cross, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made, to, made known, to which the law of the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ, not through religious activity, through faith in Jesus Christ, not through moral behavior, through faith in Jesus Christ, not through stacking up good works. So on the day you meet God, you have something to point to. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to receive, be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand go unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now there's a lot there, so let me just unpack the Bible language. There's three words in this paragraph that can change everything if you get them. Number one is this, atonement. Atonement, if you want to understand it, could be thought as at one It means through Jesus and faith in him, you can be made at one with God. Maybe you've had times where you felt at odds with God, on the run from God, nervous about God, or afraid of God. But what Paul says here is you don't have to fear and run any longer. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be made at one with God. You know that relationship that Adam and Eve were made for? Where their connection to God is a source of strength, security, and significance. You can find that as well in Jesus Christ. Atonement. He talks about justification. Another fancy word trick that someone taught me is justification. To be justified means just as if I've never sinned. I love what William Barclay says about this in his commentary. If God justifies a sinner, it doesn't mean he finds reason to prove the person right. Far from it. 
It doesn't even mean at this point he makes the sinner a good person. But it means that God treats the sinner as if they have never been a sinner at all. Think of that. In Jesus Christ, God doesn't take your sin and swipe it under a rug up there in heaven and he kind of knows what you did and it's sitting there for you to see. In Jesus Christ, the dust is gone. The rug is gone. There is no broom. In Jesus, God sees you as someone who has literally never sinned in their life. And he talks about redemption. Redemption is legal language. It's financial language that comes from the slave culture that was present in this time. And to redeem a slave would be to purchase their freedom. And he says, in Jesus, your freedom was purchased with his life. You are now free from destructive patterns and habits. You are now free from the consequences of your actions. You are now made free to go live as the person you were always made to be. But it came at a price, and the price was the life of the Lamb of God. You're redeemed. Now, what do we do with this? Some of you remember hearing this for the first time, and it was the moment that everything changed. Some of you remember hearing this at a summer camp or experiences in a Bible study, and it was too good to be true. And you, you're like, how could this be? And somebody said, yeah, that's why they call it good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the lamb slain for our freedom and forgiveness, is in fact good news. And you remember that time in your life. But here's what I see happen over and over and over. Often in our faith, we think of the gospel and this lamb of God as the doorkeeper to faith. But what we often forget is it's the lamb of God who propels us forward in our faith. Life as free and forgiven. Something we're supposed to experience over and over and over again. You guys, that's communion. Why do we choose to do communion every single week? Because we're forgetful people. And, and we forget over and over and over again how free and how loved we are because of Jesus I want to give you one practical thing as you move forward in your faith. Can I tell you, this Lamb of God means you don't have to mask it anymore. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been in small groups with people who have got 15, 20 years of Jesus journey in their belt, and they still feel like if I share something about my life, at the end of it, I have to share how it's all okay now. If I share a struggle... I have to share that, you know, I'm going through this thing, but it's kind of in my, I kind of wait till I'm 90% through the struggle to share the struggle because the expectation of me as a Christian person is that I'm past the struggle, but that's not gospel. That's moralism. I get around Christian people who, who feel like before I come to the church thing, I got to put this thing on, the smile from ear to ear, and a life that is perfect, and several kids in tow with combed hair, and lives that are all put together, and they're all doing good, and none of them have struggled, and they're all advancing in their education and moving along fine, and their finances are on the up and up, and my husband got the promotion, and, and you feel like you got to put all of this out there when deep in here you feel like something's off. Well, can I tell you something? In Jesus Christ, you have been made so clean and so free. You don't have to hide it when God's still working on you. You don't have to hide the parts and pieces that aren't there yet. A gathering of church people should be 
the most authentic group of people you can find yourself in nowadays. A gathering of church people, a community group, a worship service, a time together should be the most free and transparent people you've ever been around. Because we know deep down we're held, we're holy, we're protected, and free. Do you know I find the more somebody truly gets grace, the more willing they become to share their faults and failures? Why is that? Because there's a confidence that comes with knowing I am at one with God. I've been redeemed and I'm free. And he sees me just as if I've never sinned. Go in that, Jesus follower. Now, maybe this is new to you. What's your so what? Well, let me ask you a question. What do you want? What are you truly after in your life? You want strength. You want something you can boast in. You want to know that you've amounted to something. Can I tell you, there is no greater strength than saying, I realize my best efforts and my best days are worth nothing compared to who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And I want to lay those down. I want to view them as nothing and throw my life and throw my life at Jesus' feet. That's what real strength looks like. You want security? You want to know you're okay and held and safe. There is no greater security than being found in Jesus. There's no greater security than saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm looking at who you are. I'm looking at your love, and I'm just telling you, I'm done doing it on my own. I want what you have for me. You want significance? There's not a makeup product, a bench press number, or a promotion you can find that will give you the depth of significance that you find in a life that's held by Christ. So simply today, I want to give you the opportunity to make that move in your soul. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe it's something you haven't done before, but I want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. I want you to just make this prayer your own as I finish praying today. Jesus, I I don't have it all figured out. I don't really know what's coming next. But I know that I want you. I see the life you lived for me, the death you died for me. And I just want, I want that. I want to be found in your love. Jesus, today I trust you with my life. I trust you with my heart. I trust you with my future. Continue to make yourself known to me. I want what you have, and I want to be your follower. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. We'll catch you next week. Peace.